Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the AgView Pitch. And we are excited to uh, bring to you today an economist that is going to be at the AgView Executive Business Conference, again, held on January 27th and 28th. Wanted to get that plug out there right away. But um, what we really want to do here today is having um, Dr. Bill uh, Connerly with us today to talk about some of the things going on in the economy. And so um, I'm going to give you a little brief introdu introduction here. Um, Bill connects the dots between the economy and business. He is a business economist uh, and does economic consulting as a senior contributor to Forbes and a Duke University PhD. Uh, he's worked in economics and the corporate planning at two Fortune 500 companies and at a major bank as senior vice president. So, uh, Bill, welcome. It's great to have you on. Excited to have you here. How's it going? Great chatting with you, Chris. Well, it's uh, we're excited. Uh, we did uh, decide, and in, in you're uh, able in your schedule to be at our executive business conference on January 27th and 28th, so we're really looking forward to that. Yeah, Phoenix in January sounds good to uh, a boy from uh, Oregon where it will be raining every day of the month. Yeah, and, it, and it'll be about uh, 10 below in Iowa and, and the Dakotas and middle of the country. So, yeah, Phoenix will be a, a good place to be and uh, a good educational opportunity for everyone. And so, again, really excited to have you on. I guess the, the goal, though, for this discussion is to just talk a little bit about the economy this give everybody kind of a flavor from for, for your take and and some things and and I had I'd sent you a, a few different items that I kind of wanted to touch on that uh, kind of relate back to us as producers um, in, in the agricultural uh, industry and so where I want to start if we could bill is with inflation um, and I want to preface this a little bit on the front end you know, as producers, we're looking at probably the largest price increase we've ever seen. I would I would venture to say as things continue to go higher on the energy side of things, uh, anhydrous ammonia, you know, they're talking over $1,000 a ton. We're looking at a lot of fertilizer prices and, and things that are, are more than 100% higher than what they were last year. And so we're facing inflation straight on and um, want to have you just kind of give us a little flavor for what you're seeing. You know, they talked about this being transitory or, or short-lived. What's your take on inflation and, and how that's going to affect some of the some of these industries and, and agriculture included? Yeah, Chris. Well, inflation is certainly higher uh, this morning. We're recording this on October 13th. Uh, we got new data on the consumer price index that is not as bad. <laughs> that's the best we can pay. It's not as bad as it had been. Uh, I think that overall, we're going to see more inflation over the next few years. But for um, people in agriculture, uh, they're probably more concerned on the cost side with energy-related inflation, which is both directly like diesel uh, fuel, but also fertilizer, as you mentioned, has close ties to oil and natural gas prices. Uh, and energy kind of goes on a, a different cycle. It's, it, it's up a lot more than overall inflation, and then it goes down more than overall inflation. And what is happening right now is the world is being surprised by the strength of economic growth and demand for oil and natural gas for 
transportation and uh, factories as well as heating. And uh, it takes a while for the uh, petroleum industry to respond. You know, um, a few years ago, I'm blanking on it, maybe 2012, uh, corn prices shot through the roof and other grain prices went through the roof. And the world's farmers said, oh, you want more corn? We can we can grow more corn. And it took about one growing season for the prices to come down. Right. But in petroleum, it takes a long time to find new um, uh, uh, fields. Uh, do the exploration, development, pipe systems, refineries. It's like 10 years to bring a lot of supply online. Uh, we'll be getting some smaller increments to supply in the next year or two. So I think the oil prices are not going to uh, continue to skyrocket. But I doubt that they're going to come down very much from where they are today. Interesting. Yeah, and, and you hit the nail on the head, you know, the, the commodity prices follow right along and benefit from the inflation on one side of the equation. On the other side, you know, the inputs are there. And as we look at 2022, pricing opportunities are actually pretty good. Um, margin uh, opportunities are there, even with where these higher prices are. Um, you know, that's that's the real challenge, though. We're coming off of a year this year where there's some really high uh ROIs, you know, where we're seeing some good returns and not as good a return next year because of those in, increase in prices. But um, any any thoughts on, on you know, the length of time, you know, that because there's just a lot of people buying into, you know, into the commodities on an inflation hedge or whatever. So do you see that continuing or what's your thought there? Well, yeah, Chris, uh, commodity prices are very volatile. And some of it is speculation. Right. But the the underlying pressure here is the, the classic definition of inflation is too many dollars chasing too few goods. Yep. And we have a ton of uh, stimulus from uh, federal government spending what uh, – in uh, college, you might have heard of fiscal policy in a Keynesian context. And we also have a, a very stimulative monetary policy from the Federal Reserve. We are just pushing a boatload of dollars into the economy, but we're unable to grow our production side very much. And that's not just the you know supply shortage, but uh, we're, we're just trying to get more stuff out of the economy than the economy can produce. And what happens is inflation. Okay, so that leads me, that's a, a good segue to uh, a couple of things, but I'm going to hit the labor piece first. You know, right. it seems like the labor thing is what's really screwing all this stuff up, isn't it? It is, I think, a majority of supply chain problems are labor-related, but there are some, some non-labor issues. Uh, the surge in demand for goods internationally um, is greater than the shipping capacity that we have. And it takes 15 months to build a container ship. Uh, and that's if uh, there's no lead time, if you, know, if you call up the, the shipbuilder uh, and he's ready to start work. So it's going to be a while before that gets resolved. There are some uh, snarls at ports. But when I scratch the surface on what's happening with supply shortages, I see labor. Like one of my client, one of my consulting clients um, is a manufacturing company that uses a lot of brass and their raw material inventory was getting low. 
So the purchasing person calls the brass supplier and says, where's our brass? And the supplier says, it's sitting on a trailer. I can see it from my office window. We just don't have a truck driver to get it to you. Uh, and it's about a thousand miles from us to them. Um, so the, the brass shortage caused a plumbing product shortage, but it was all due to the labor shortage of truck drivers. And a lot of farmers are, are feeling the pinch of, um, truck driver shortages, but it's not just truck drivers all across the economy. Every business I know, um, is looking for more workers and cannot find them. Well, and that's just it. You know, the, the JIT or the just in time, uh, inventory is a scary thing now because I know we had a tire guy tell us, you know, we're in the middle of harvest as we speak and, and, uh, all of our listeners or many of our listeners are in, in a similar situation. I, they told us, whatever you do, don't ruin one of your tires because we don't have any, <laughs> you know? And so, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, and it's the same thing with a lot of pretty key important parts from the GPS equipment in, in, you know, in our machines to, to tires and everything in between, there's a lot of really key components that just aren't available right now. I mean, how long do you see that being an issue? Because, you know, we're sitting here in California, you know, you, you see the pictures of the lines and lines and lines of these container ships. And that's, you know, that's just one side of the equation. Like you said, well, then you got to get it trucked and distributed, right? So how, how long does this mess take? Do you think? Well, it, it, it's going to take a while, but let me uh, provide a little context. I have a friend who uh, grew up in the Soviet Union in the, the communist <laughs> days, and, uh, you know, they were waiting, you know, they saw a line at a store that was going to take them four hours. They'd wait in line, even if they didn't know what was in stock, just to get anything they could. So. You know, everybody who's got uh, uh, the money to buy food is getting food. And, you know, maybe we don't get exactly the, the, the type of pasta we want, but, you know, we're able to get things. However, it is frustrating to have money to spend and you can't get it. I think that the labor shortage will ease uh, as we move through this year, you know, 2021. Uh, people are not getting the extra unemployment insurance anymore. And some people work when their bank account is low or the, the cash in their wallet is low and we're farther away from those stimulus checks. But I think more people are going to be going into the labor force. Uh, getting the kids back in school will help, especially with uh, single mothers. And uh, it will gradually get better. Uh, we'll still have the problem of too many dollars chasing too few goods. But I think that eventually, maybe in 12 months' time, we'll see the economy able to produce the kinds of things that the people want to buy. Okay. Um, so I want to ask another question here about interest rates. As producers, um, we have a lot of, you know, in, in, in farming, we have so many dollars invested. Um, it's just such a capital-intensive industry and so when we have, um, you know, millions of dollars and, and our debt structure needs to be looked at and those kind of things, and, you know, we've continually heard, you know, interest rates are going to stay low, stay low, and now they're going to go up, now they're staying low, and <laughs> you just get these mixed messages. Um, talk a little bit about interest rates, some of the things that you see coming and some of the things that, that 
that producers in agriculture we should be thinking about? Yeah. Uh, most of us see interest rates increasing. The Federal Reserve is communicating that they want us to uh, anticipate what they're going to do. And they're going to begin by what they call tapering. Right now, uh, the Federal Reserve is spending about $120 billion uh, a month buying long-term bonds and mortgage-backed securities. So when you're thinking about a term loan or a long-term mortgage, those are the interest rates affecting you. And the Fed has kept them low, uh, but they're going to uh, taper down and I think we'll see long-term interest rates rising. Over the last couple of weeks, they have increased already. And I think we're going to see some gradual um, gains and you know, a percentage point over 12 months uh, might be the high end of what uh, I would expect for long-term rates. And then sometime next year, uh, the Federal Reserve will start pushing up short-term rates the way they usually do when they have to tighten. And uh, I think they're going to drag their heels as long as they can, but we're seeing so much inflationary pressure, they cannot drag their heels too long. And when that happens, when the Fed really wants to change things, uh, look for short-term interest rates. And this would be comparable to borrowing from a bank at prime or uh, at you know LIBOR plus a margin. Short-term interest rates could go up three percentage points in a year's time once they start doing that. So uh, lately, um, you know, uh, a farmer uh, budgeting for his interest expense uh, was paying such a low interest rate, it didn't much make a difference. Uh, but I think it is going to make a difference in a year or two years. Mm-hmm. That, that leads me to uh, another question along those lines, you know, and it's this way in any business, but, you know, with, with ag in the last several years, 2020 turned out decent for a lot of operations because of various things. And there was a lot of government government revenue that actually came into the ag sector that kind of kept us in line and made us whole. And then this year, in a lot of instances, and, and there's areas I know that are not going to have a great year, but in the, for the most part, a lot of operations are going to have another good year. We've gone, especially in the grain side of things, um, corn, soybeans, wheat, um, probably since 2012, um, having our working capital slowly, slowly, slowly get chewed away. Now we've had a couple of years where we've re- rebuilt working capital. Um, asking you, I guess, here in this question to put your consultant hat on for a second, and and you know the the tendency uh, is to want to pay down on some of those intermediate or longer term debts when you have a bunch of cash sitting around because you're sitting there thinking, well, geez, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not doing anything with this cash. But on the same token, what you're telling me, if I understood this right, is that we could be seeing some pretty high interest rates maybe coming our way down the pike that that working capital is going to be pretty critical. Um, Yeah. First of all, my inclination would be to lock in as long a term as I can get right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's not always the best advice, but that's what what, uh, my projections uh, argue for is is lock in. Uh, And then I think the the next thing I would think about was just reducing total level of debt. 
And let me tell you a story from the corporate world. And uh, you can tell me whether this actually applies in agriculture, because Mm -hmm. I don't know agriculture like you do. But in the corporate world, what we've seen is uh, we see companies do mergers and acquisitions or they buy more property, more equipment. And the companies that succeed the best in the long term use the good years to improve their balance sheet. They pay down debt, they accumulate some cash. And then in the bad years is when they start buying. Whereas the common uh, business thing is in the good years, that's when you buy. And yet you're buying at high prices and inflated valuations. And then the market turns down and you're saying, holy, you know, yeah. holy bad word. Why <laughs> did I buy at that price? Right. Um, and I've heard stories. You tell me if this makes sense of, you know, farmers have a couple of good years and they're, you know, they're buying, 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 you know, more land and yeah. uh, shiny new machines. Yep. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, exactly. And that's, that's what I'm getting at is, you know, that, you know, cash is king some of the time and, you know, paying down some of that intermediate stuff when that those those dollars are there. Plus with this inflation, you know, just looking at our client base, we're seeing that, um, you know, as much as 100 to $150 an acre of additional cash requirement in 22 versus 21 just because of the inflationary components. So there's going to, it's going to require more cash to start with. And then and to your point, land, you know, look at, look at what land value. I mean, there's a lot of uh, land in Iowa where I live that has um, a number of farms have been sold for, you know, approaching $20,000 an acre. There's been some 14s, 15s and some 20s, 21, 22s, $1,000 an acre. I mean, that's a long ways from cash flowing and it's purely, like you said, it's it's driven by um, "quote unquote" good times, um, high commodity prices, and inflation, and and people with extra cash that bid against each other, and all of a sudden we've, you know, we're creating another cycle, probably. Yeah, yeah, um, and uh, that is something to be worried about. And as humans, we get into this mood of. Uh, Hey, things are good. Let's expand. And that's often the time to be cautious. You know, I was working with, um, uh, copper and brass distributors, um, no, 10 years ago and copper prices were up. Um, and I shrugged my shoulders and said, well, your margins about the same. And he said, yeah. Um, and I said, so what's the problem? And he says, well, we're moving as many bars of copper as ever before, but, um, if the price of copper is twice as much, we need twice as much working capital. And that hasn't dawned on me that, okay, his profit isn't higher, but his working capital needs are higher. So that's what you're talking about exactly. is just, uh, you know, being able to, to put the cash out for the supplies, the fertilizer, and the seed before you get paid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other, the other challenge is too, is, being cognizant enough to, to, um, take advantage of opportunities when they're there too. It's always the, with commodity prices, it's tough because you're always dealing with those, those two wild emotions called fear and greed. And (laughs) and one or the other is going to drive the decision. It depends on the person. Some people are driven by fear and some are driven by greed, but you need to understand yourself and, um, make sure you're managing that side of the equation too. Yeah. What I have suggested to people in this kind of situation is 
long before you have to make the decision, set out your framework for how you're going to make the decision, what will be the, the, the key factors and how will you do the arithmetic. Right. And if you do that, you're less likely, I believe, to get caught up by the fear and the greed and the emotions of the, of the time. Does, does that ring true in the agriculture? Uh, absolutely. That's exactly what we do with our clients. <laughs> you know, we, <laughs> we, we map that out because you really, you know, you really got to know what, what, what your three-year plan is, not just what you're, what, what are you doing tomorrow? You know, it's, it's how, what's this look like and, and what are those projections tell you? So, um, I have another question, and I'm not I'm not throwing you into the politics world here necessarily, but I do want to ask a couple of questions on um, some of the policy proposals that are being thrown around on the tax side of things. And I know there isn't exact um, verbiage on anything, but there are proposals out there floating around. Are there any things anything that concerns you, or things that you're okay with, or? Um, from from an economic standpoint, what what are some of your thoughts on some of the these economic proposals that are out there, including the infrastructure? If you want to touch on that too, sure. Well, just between you and me, Chris, I'm not I'm not happy with any tax. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> um, well, me too. But 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 the fact is, we we do need some uh, government services. So I guess right. taxes are necessary. Exactly. Either. I've got um, I've got kids in the military, so yeah, we need to make sure that they're funded. So I agree. They, they, they need a paycheck, you know, exactly. no doubt about it. And not just need it, deserve it. But um, what I, as an economist, when I look at taxes, there are two questions. One is the total amount uh, that the government taxes. And that's sort of a liberal versus conservative argument. How much money should be left to individual decisions by those who earned it versus how much money uh, spent through political decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that I keep coming back though is incentives. High taxes are a disincentive to whatever is being taxed, whether that's a property tax on land or a uh, an income tax on labor or a sales tax on buying you know cars and boats. Uh, whatever you tax is disincented. And uh, in terms of economic growth, the taxes that have the the most negative impact on long-term economic growth begin with uh, taxes on capital income, and that's profits as well as interest expense or capital gains. So those are most negative. And the, the next on the, the bad list is income taxes. Uh, and there's a lot of activity uh, that is discouraged by income taxes. So somebody making a good bit of money uh, says, she, gee, should I work another year or should I retire now? Or you've got uh, two earners in a family and one of them is thinking about uh, uh, not working. And the, the tax rate uh, of the whole family is a big factor there. And then when you work down Things like um, the sales tax and a property tax have very, very small impact on long-term economic growth. So if you want the economy to grow faster, the answer is do not tax returns on capital very high and do not tax income very high. But the folks who are concerned with equity and helping poor people say, well, you need to tax the folks with high income. So we have this um, this uh, uh, conflict 
between what seems fair to most people and what will get the economy going and what's going to help poor people in the long run is a stronger economy. But what's going to hurt poor people in, in the short run is taxing uh, fuel and sales, uh, sales tax like stuff. So uh, it's not an easy problem to solve. Well, and you, you know, high, if you look at what fuel prices or gas prices have done recently, you know, in the last six months or whatever, they've really gone up. That's almost like a tax too, right? Yeah. And, you know, a low income person living in a rural area, you know, in, in a city, maybe the person, uh, you know, jumps on a bus or drives five miles to work, but there are a lot of people in the country who are, who are driving, you know, 50 miles each way. Uh, to get to work and the higher gasoline um, expense is uh, is really a costly. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the this kind of transitions to the last thing I wanted to just touch on here and, and wrap up, but is with the pandemic and and the the impact of that this labor issue. It's it's led into the you know the p- supply chain issues that we've talked about and inflation. Probably all it's probably impacted most of this stuff. Any, any comments on that or things that, um, in, in any industry, I guess, I mean, ag's just another industry of many, but any comments on that or, or things that we need to be paying attention to? Well, in, um, in like manufacturing, I think there's some analogies, uh, the, uh, industry spent two decades trying to reduce their inventories, you know, just in time inventories. Yeah. And now I'm saying to folks, uh, gee, you know, you need to build up your inventory. Uh, one company is, um, uh, has a small, a small part that's a plastic part and it's like, you know, a nickel each. Uh, and they use, you know, a hundred thousand of them. So it's not a big deal. Uh, but they come from China and, uh, after talking, the guy just bought a whole, a whole year's worth of supply, uh, which really contradicts the just in time thing. But he said, <laughs> I don't want to have to worry about a container getting here from China. And I think anybody who's critically dependent on, on things, uh, should be giving some thought to how much should I keep in storage? Now, maybe you don't have storage space. Um, maybe it'll rot depending on what it is or get stolen. That's a legitimate concern. But your bank is paying you approximately diddly squat interest on, on your, your working capital. So maybe having it in inventory makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, that's just it. We've, in our operation this this fall and through even last spring i mean we were buying extra parts and things like that just because of the concern of being able to get a hold of things too so yeah and 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 to tell you the truth it makes a lot of sense but it contributes to the uh, supply chain problem yeah if everybody's doing it right If everybody's buying stuff they don't need, uh, <laughs> that makes it tougher. But on the other hand, you know, you're running an operation. You got to keep it going. Yeah. And yeah, there's a chance that you're going to blow a tire, and uh, might be good to have an extra one around. Exactly. So, um, anything on the economy? Um, last question, I guess, as we um, march toward the end of uh, 
you know, this year and, and look at 2022, anything that, that stands out that's like a flashing yellow light or possibly a red light that's like, hey, look at this, be careful? Yeah, well, I'm going to suggest we, we uh, look a little farther uh, into the future. You know, uh, you've got to look at what's happening right around you, but sometimes you need to lift your eyes to the horizon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is that a gorilla out there coming my way? Um, so the gorilla on the horizon uh, for me is a more boom-bust economy. The uh, Federal Reserve is being slow, intentionally slow, to respond to inflation. I think they eventually will. But what we saw in the, the 1970s, late 60s and 70s and early 80s, was the Federal Reserve wanting to keep unemployment low and they'd goose the economy and then inflation would go up and they'd hit the brakes and then they'd cause a recession and then they'd hit the gas and the economy would go and inflation would rise and then they'd hit the brakes and it was a roller coaster. Hmm. I think that not, not, not in uh, 2022 or even 23, but by certainly by 24, I think the economy is going to be on more of a roller coaster with booms and busts and it maybe won't affect total, you know, food consumption very much, but it will certainly infect, uh, affect product costs and uh, production costs and may affect product prices with the inflation. Um, some discretionary purchases will be cut back in the recession, uh, which is maybe more relevant to the livestock folks than the grain producers. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I would expect uh, what I have been saying is that the booms will be boomier and the busts will be bustier. Mm-hmm. And um, I think everybody in business should prepare for a more up and down economy. That's uh, really good advice uh, uh, in agriculture. It, it's exactly what we live on is, is you get, get a couple of really good years and then you get to try to figure out how to survive for a few years and then you get a couple of good years again. So Exactly. Yeah. Joseph talked to that feral fellow about using the good years to prepare for the lean years, and that's still good advice. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, Hey, this was been, this has been an, an excellent conversation. It, it gives everybody kind of a little bit of flavor of, of um, you know, kind of how your take is on things and being involved in a lot of different industries. I think you're going to be uh, bring a, a tremendous amount of value to our executive business conference. We'll probably have you back on to just give us a short preview when we get a little closer to the conference that's going to be on January 20. Uh, 7th and 28th in Phoenix. And so we're um, excited to have you there. Really appreciate this um, podcast and conversation with you. Um, Bill, it's been great to get some perspective. Great. I've enjoyed talking with you and I'm looking forward to talking to your producers at the Executive Business Conference. And it's not too early to start thinking about, uh, gee, what are the questions I'm going to ask this guy when I get him face-to-face? That's right. And if anybody wants to start emailing Alyssa some questions, I'm sure we can get them to you. So uh, we'll encourage that. And that'll that'll probably stoke the fire to, to, send, to get some sent our way. So appreciate that, Bill. Bill, thanks a lot. Really appreciate you being on. Good chatting. Yeah, that's uh, Bill Connerly, and uh, thanks everybody for listening, and we will catch you again next time on the Ag View Pitch.